because it is these power dynamics that influence our ability to ask for and receive what we want. And if I'm not aware of that dynamic of pretty privilege, if I don't talk about it, it's never going to feel safe enough for me to really ask for what I want. Mm. I mean, a great example of that is if we met at a bar and I perceive you as having significantly more pretty privilege than me. I just think you're the most beautiful man I've ever seen. Mm. It's going to be really hard for me to overcome that and actually ask you for more time to ask you on a date. Hello and welcome to Power, Pleasure, and Integrity, a podcast about taking responsibility to transform your sex, your relationships, and your life through your erotic body. My name is Adam B. And I'm Malcolm Hall. Malcolm and I work as guides for folks who are looking to go deep into their pleasure and their power. We work on the stolen land of the Lenape people, otherwise known as Manhattan. And if you're curious about whose land you're on, please go to native-land.ca and enter your address. You will be given links and more info and ways to donate. Malcolm and I always donate a portion of our proceeds to organizations working to support indigenous peoples and culture in New York. And we always encourage other folks to do so. Again, that's native-land dashland.ca lovely resource yeah it's a great website they have an app too it's a wonderful uh, place to check if you're traveling or and to find out where where you're living Mm. to honor and acknowledge the peoples from whom it was stolen and if you're in north america it was definitely stolen definitely stolen yes so today's episode is about pretty privileged but before we dive into that we just wanted to do some quick check-ins what's new with you malcolm oh boy there's a lot new i think most notably moving in where'd you move to a new apartment Mm. someone moved into my apartment this week too or last week oh that's crazy i think it was me yeah i think it was you (laughs) yeah it was me moving in with you has been kind of the... Super easy. (laughs) Smooth. No arguments. Yes, this is being recorded on April 1st. It is April Fool's Day. Yeah, it's it's been a journey. But it's been really fun. Yeah, we've had lots of... It has been fun. It's been good. And we've had a lot of discussions around power dynamics. Mm Mm-hmm consent Mm. communication Mm. clarity all these things we do in our work tend to show up under a microscope when you're in a tiny new york apartment (laughs) actually this apartment is is quite large for me but well you add another body and a dog and that changes pretty quickly yeah yeah so moving in has certainly been a big deal a lot of negotiating and continued negotiating as is, as this happens in all relationships. It's a new experience for me, having never lived with somebody who I was working with and partnered with. It's been, it's been a learning experience, I think, is the best way to kind of encompass the whole thing. Yeah, and I assume it will always be a learning experience for me. 
And one thing I really appreciate is that we both are committed to using these tools, techniques, consent forward practices to move through it, which works most of the time. Yeah, I think we're pretty fucking good at it compared to all the other interactions I've had throughout life. Mm. What else happened? Do you want to tell folks what happened to you at the Met? Oh, God. The Met. Talking about the Met Museum. Yeah. The, you know, being in spaces like that is always laborious because it's just so white. It's such a predominantly white space. Well, and particularly we were at the Met After Hours, which is specifically reserved for not just members, but mere members at a higher tier who have evening hours, which is what we have. Right. And that, because the Met during the day is actually a whole range of of folks from all over the globe. Mm -mm. But Met After Hours are specifically a certain type of member, which is very much predominantly white. And was very much felt. You know, as we entered the space, kind of having a somatic response to the only oneness of it all. And that already created some walls, some guards went up. But as we moved into the space, I was like, I'm I'm gonna try to enjoy it. And there are less people here than normal, so maybe it'll be easy to navigate around all of the things that may arise. But as we entered, and I found this pretty ironic, the new abolition exhibit. exhibit. Yeah, they have this this pretty interesting new exhibit that centers around Carpo's sculpture of an enslaved woman mm. that he that he did in I think 1869 in France and beautiful sculpture and then Stunning. around surrounding that are other representations of enslaved people and how and how that art was actually not so not so much interpreted but sort of some discourse around the other art of that time yeah and how his art kind of influenced how black people were regarded as abolition became a thing in Europe and it was really interesting a perspective that i had never really seen so i was really kind of dialed in but simultaneously you know I was hyper aware of my surroundings, which I often am when I'm moving through spaces, especially white spaces, Um, super aware of how much space I'm taking up, super aware of where I'm moving and how. And as I was enjoying or coming to the end of enjoying. Can you you just say a little bit more about that? Because I know I've heard you talk about it in the sense of you have to be constantly aware of the space you're taking up because as a, as a man in a black body, mm. your survival oftentimes depends on your spatial awareness. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, growing up, it was imperative that I shrunk myself in a particular way, not just because of racism, because I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood and, you know, we did have to worry about cops and shit like that, but... It was more because I was gay and I wanted to attract as little attention as possible. And if any of that energy kind of arced out or I was too big or I crossed paths with the wrong person, it could mean a fight or worse. 
and then growing into adulthood, that continues in the workplace. You know, you have to walk. We tend to have to walk really lightly, tread lightly when we're interacting with and sharing space with white folk. And I, I think we all know stories about Black men in particular being falsely accused of X, Y, and Z by white women or white people in general and all that can lead to. So I know that if I'm not conscious of whether or not I bump into a white woman, that could lead to disaster. Mm-hmm. And so I carry that with me. Mm-hmm. It just is a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, you're always very aware. Yeah, and I don't necessarily have any interest in undoing that. I I think it's it's necessary. We don't live in a world where I get to undo that. Mm-hmm. But being conscious of it has been useful because some of that can be magnified in a way that's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Well, and, it's already unhealthy, but... Yeah. <laughs> and then, so what happened at the Met? Well, in the Met, I had specifically positioned myself in a way where I was out of the way, making sure I wasn't going to bump into anybody or do anything. And as I was about to remove myself from observing this one piece of art, before I even moved this woman was behind me and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And she, I, had, her hands up. And she had her hands up and she's like, it, you would have thought that I was about to attack her. Mm. And I, I hadn't even moved yet. I had just lifted my head and it was apparent that I was going to change positions, but I was just going to scan the area to see where I could move and where I couldn't. Before I even had an opportunity, honey, she was ready. She's like, I'm standing here. And it, was just like so mind blowing to me because she positioned herself there right behind you Di- i mean Inches. centimeters even whether you're in europe or america <laughs> it was close she was directly behind me and it, there's no way i mean the woman was short so there's no way she could have been actually seeing anything because I have prepared. Yeah, that was what I didn't understand about it. She was significantly shorter than you and right behind you. Yeah. So I, I don't really know what she was thinking, but it, it just but she was a, she yeah she took offense to it and she, she made she made a big well for me by the time I had turned around all of this was over and I just saw her hands up and saw the the proximity of your two bodies yeah, and felt her energy and the sense of, for me, what I interpreted is that, that, that place of victimization Mm. of you had, you had gone into her space when you had literally just pivoted to turn around. Right. Right. And, you know, and keeping in mind that her reaction started to occur before I'd even pivoted. Right. Which is the most kind of egregious part of this to me. And so what's important about this interaction? Can you describe what what the significance of this might be? Well, it just felt like there is no safe space. You know, we're in this largely white space, but in an exhibit that is, I think, disarming in a way for Black folk. One would imagine that we're in this space and we're looking at all this art and it's about abolitionism and how important that was and how that set the tone for Europe. And 
I still have to be hyper aware of what's happening and I am still not safe. Like this white woman has taken up so much space and has no regard mm. for was so entitled she to, was so entitled. to come into your space and then become a victim when you had the audacity to turn around right which i would guess is pretty common it is and it really fucking sucks <laughs> and, it and is... something that does not happen to me exactly and another thing <clears throat> that we kind of talked about afterward was the bumping Right. You you had mentioned you were bumped into multiple times. Dozens. Dozens of times. And they were all by white folk. And, you know, considering you are bigger than me, like you have a broader shoulder, you are more muscular, you know, and I don't know how aware you are of how much space you take up. But me being a person who is constantly, it was really shocking when you told me that you hadn't been bumped once. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's some shit. Yeah, that was that was heavy and it snatched me out of my experience because I had come to that place to kind of not unwind, but I just had imagined it would be safer than it actually was. Yeah, especially it, in that exhibit. Yeah, it, it just reinforces that we don't get the opportunity to relax. Mm. And I was really grateful that we had those tools that we had. We were able to use some of the things that we've learned in our somatic abolitionism course to kind of bring me down. Right. And what Malcolm's naming are some of the tools that our teacher Resma Menicum uses to go through these somatic elicitations as they arise. So we went down to the courtyard in Mm. the middle of the Dutch masters, which is oftentimes empty. And we just went through the, what happened in our bodies. And yeah, I think it was, remarkably helpful mm-hmm. the first example i had of those tools those toys as he likes to call them like in use in real time yeah it was really helpful mm. and speaking i want to i want to name our experience at the other met because we went to the met opera mm. and which is also even somehow even more white than, than the Met Museum, but it is. And, and, and we both knew that going in and, and we went to see Strauss's Electro, which was, which was marvelous. Mm. And, uh, and I, so t- tell everyone what, what happened when, <laughs> when we sat down. It was quite funny. Well, I mean, you know, I had observed Cause, and we were also like very much aware of what had happened at the Met Museum and, right. and going into this letter. other, like, culturally white institution that's like a centerpiece of new york and america Mm -hmm. and so we go in and i sit down and i'm like damn it's a sea of white people there's no black people like at all and there was somebody black directly in front of me like (laughs) i had somehow overlooked him them in my kind of overwhelm Mm. but that's not to say that there were not a lot of white people because there were. Oh yeah, but it was just the, really funny. The two black people just happened to be sitting. Yeah, right in front of directly in front of us. Yeah, yeah it was interesting. <laughs> and then I want to name the as part of my check in. We also went to the Moonchild concert, mm. which Love was Moonchild. Yeah, they were phenomenal. And unfortunately, I was. I got quite sick in the middle of the concert and had to leave. But one of the things I found 
so lovely to see was how they were really modeling what it could be like, what it perhaps should be like for white bodied people to amplify voices Mm. of bodies of culture, women who are doing the work. And one of the things I loved was that the, who's the, what's the name of the lead singer of Moonchild? Amber. Amber. So Amber got on after the first opening act and had this really beautiful video pre-recorded that was introducing the second opening act. And Mm. it was all about how this second opening act had won all these journalism awards. And I was just thinking, oh, that's cool that this journalist followed her dreams to become a musician. (laughs) And then she came out and then I realized pretty quickly that she was not a musician, that she was a journalist. Yes. We're talking about Sophia Ballin. Sophia Ballin. She came out this remarkable journalist won a ton of awards done amazing work Mm. and what moonchild has done is i assume hired her or paying her in some capacity to come and interview people in the community doing the work and so she interviewed elise fox who's running sad girls club which is a organization committed to destigmatizing mental wellness for uh, women girls and femmes of color And so they talked about that amazing work and it was just incredible that they gave up that much time and space. It was so engaging. So engaging. Yeah. It was really wonderful. And then in the middle of the concert, Amber stopped the show to talk about what it means for particularly white people to give up their financial power and how all of this is mostly stolen anyway. And it's not charity if it's not charity if you stole it. Giving Right. Giving back is not charity if it was stolen and how as we make more money, it's our responsibility to give more. Mm -hmm. And what really struck me was, you know, I don't want to I don't want to like give them a ton of credit because for doing the right thing. Right. Like doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Right. But it also made me aware of how few models are out there Mm -hmm. for this. Yeah, and it's one of the huge reasons why I love them so much. It, the music is incredible, but I definitely had my reservations when I realized the genre they they occupy and the way they sound. What genre do they occupy? It's R&B. It's, it's right. soul. and But they're all white. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we always talk about appropriation and... <clears throat> It doesn't feel appropriated because they take so much time to honor and uplift and amplify the voices of the people who inspire them, people who are doing good work in our communities. Mm-hmm. And it's just refreshing. I don't want to pedestalize them like like we just mentioned, but they're doing some pretty unique work. Well, they're doing the right thing. They're doing what should be standard, yeah. should be basic. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna support that. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we dive into our topic for today? Pretty Let's privilege. We are somewhat obsessed with this topic of pretty privilege. Somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> like all power dynamics, it it shows up in so many ways, so many wily corners of our lives Mm -hmm. where we least expect it. And I think this one of pretty privilege is simply not talked about enough. 
certainly there are people having this discourse. You can go over to TikTok and find some wonderful videos about it, what it means, what it does in certain contexts. But for us, and we want to make this clear, is we're talking about this particular power dynamic of pretty privilege and its impact on how we ask for and receive what we want, right. how it impacts our relationships that we're in. We're not going to go into the the intricate details of the philosophy and conceptual analysis of it, but mm-hmm. our goal here today is to really talk about how it shows up and manifests in our relationships, because I certainly notice with myself, with clients, with friends, lovers, it is such a big deal. Yeah, it's really prevalent. And it's not there's discussed. not a lot of deep dives. <laughs> right. There's not a lot of deep dives. Yeah. You can certainly find a lot of Instagram videos and pictures, people just bragging about their pretty privilege. Yeah. And what they got for free and how All that they, surface level shit. And you can certainly find a lot of folks who are um, angry when they get called out on their pretty privilege. Mm-hmm. Because like all of these power dynamics, when you're the one who is taking advantage of it, it's a lot harder to see that yeah. and to do work around it because I think our society by and large, our culture has trained and taught and programmed us to uplift people who are out of integrity mm-hmm. with receiving yeah, with these power dynamics, with this privilege, whether it's my white body privilege, my pretty privilege, money privilege. Mm. And giving up that power is terrifying for a lot of people. Right. Uh, yeah, our culture doesn't really give us many incentives to give up that power. And, and again, we uplift the people who take advantage of it the most. Just look at the people who are on all of the magazines. Mm. Not this week, as Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson will be on the cover. And as she, she should. As she should. So <laughs> we pulled up a definition from Dr. Sarah Webb, who's on Instagram at Colorism Healing. And it's an account we both really love yeah her account's very dope please check it out yeah but she had a a really succinct definition which we wanted to name here and what she described as pretty privilege is about how closely your unique combination of physical traits and the way you choose to package those traits match or do not match cultural ideas of prettiness Mm mm-hmm So again, that's pretty privilege is about how closely your unique combination of physical traits and the way you choose to package those traits match or do not match cultural ideas of prettiness. Mm. Great definition. Yeah. So I think one of the one of the pieces I want to name here that is in that definition and that will a lot of people like to point to as a way to get out of a serious inquiry is that I don't have pretty privilege in all of these spaces. And yeah, that's true. It Mm. is, it depends on the cultural ideas of prettiness of the space Mm. that we are in and that changes. Mm -hmm. But by and large, this, at least the culture we are in this, this American white settler culture, there are these overarching themes and values related to prettiness Absolutely. And that changes. It certainly changes in the neighborhood I live in, in the neighborhoods I go to, that will vary. But by and large, there are overarching themes that we can point toward. Right. And they tend to center around white 
differences in white features and white body types. Right. Yeah, a very specific type of white, non-disabled, cis, Mm. cisgender body. Yeah. Another point that I want to name here is that when I talk about prettiness, to me, it is it is purely that surface level idea. Right. That it's just about my external expression and how that matches those cultural ideas of prettiness. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with what's on the inside. And the way I differentiate these two, and we'll use these definitions in our conversations, is that there's prettiness and there's beauty. Right. And one of the ways I think about that is that prettiness, my prettiness is something I do for you. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing this shirt because I think you'll like it. I think I'll get more attention at the party or at the bar or on this date. Mm -hmm. But beauty are the choices I make for me. Mm. And so it can get very nuanced, I think, when we break that down. Because I I could take the same action and, depending on my intention, could be doing it out of integrity. Mm for prettiness, for pretty privilege, or I could be in integrity, making the choice to wear that same shirt, but doing it for me. Yeah, because it makes you feel good. Because it makes me feel good. And beauty also encompasses so much more than that external expression of prettiness. To me, at least, beauty is about what I do, all the choices I make to make myself beautiful, whether that's meditation, eating right, moving my body, resting Mm. my body, reading a good book, all of those things impact how my beauty is able to show up. And to me, at least, that's where we can be in integrity and that's where we can be in our power. If I am solely latched onto this prettiness, I will oftentimes, if not all the time, be out of integrity and out of my power because I'm doing it for you. I'm not doing it for me. I agree. And I think we have very, very similar ideas about prettiness and beauty and how they're different. Yeah, we do. And and we talk about this a lot. And I think certainly my the way I understand pretty privilege and think through it in myself and my own body has been largely influenced by our discussions. Also, I want to name my sister who <laughs> we were in deep discourse about this for a large part of last year. Yeah. Um, Because we have very similar experiences. Mm. Although my sister being a cis female has had experiences that, that I will absolutely never have. Yeah. And the impact on the gendered impact of pretty privilege is so stark. Mm -hmm. The things that, that women and femmes have to do Mm. when they have pretty privilege or don't have pretty privilege is very different, I think, than a cis male body person. Yeah, the intersectionality is real. <laughs> yeah. And so part of this podcast is you know, we, we are so passionate about this topic as we all as we are about all power dynamics, because it is these power dynamics that influence our ability to ask for and receive what we want. And if I'm not aware of that dynamic of pretty privilege, if I don't talk about it, it's never going to feel safe enough for me to really ask for what I want. Mm. I mean, a great example of that is if we met at a bar and I perceive you 
as having significantly more pretty privilege than me. I just think you're the most beautiful man I've ever seen. Mm. It's going to be really hard for me to overcome that and actually ask you for more time to ask you on a date. Yeah. And vice versa. If I perceive you as having significantly less pretty privilege than me, I may actually take advantage of that. Mm. I may actually just go ahead and try to take you home for the night because it would be a, an easy lay, or I think it would be an easy lay. Yeah, it's true. Lord knows I have definitely been on both sides. I have come across people who have taken advantage because I had my insecurities and I, you know, perceived them to have more of that currency than I did. And I let things happen that didn't feel too great. Mm. Yeah, it's really hard to say no mm. when we feel like we're at a lack of pretty privilege. Yeah, that no is really a gift. I'm glad I found it. Right. It's really, I mean, it's absolutely necessary on a path of pleasure. And this is one reason why I think we have to talk about these things in our relationships. We have to talk about things like pretty privilege because mm -hmm. it is so much harder to say no when we perceive ourselves at a lack. And it's mm. so easy to take advantage, unconsciously take advantage of others if we perceive ourselves as having an abundance or more than. Yeah. So who has more in our relationship? Ooh. Well, I think it depends on the space we're in. But overall, you certainly have more. And that's based on cultural standards. You're traditionally handsome white man, you got a good body on you, you know, you're going to have a lot less difficulty moving through the world, asking for what you want, saying no, with no repercussions, is what I would say. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. I think just looking at some of the systemic factors here of me being white, mm. brown hair, I have my hair, I, I am non-disabled mm. by and large just looking at that as a baseline would probably automatically give me more pretty privilege in most spaces yeah. in this country. Yep. And there's certainly spaces that we go to where that's not the case. Mm, that's true. I've, I, I've experienced a real shift in my, in my currency coming here from Hawaii and having felt, you know, devalued in a way there and being in spaces where I, I feel like I'm appreciated more and I notice that I'm getting more attention and what is the intention of that attention has mm -hmm. been a really interesting game to, or I shouldn't call it a game, but it's been an interesting experience to navigate. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, the intention of the attention, because one of the things I know from having many conversations with folks who have an abundance of pretty privilege mm -hmm. is that there seems to be a pattern of really closing off and putting up huge walls because they there's such a history and repeated pattern of not understanding the intention of the intention mm. the intention of the attention mm -hmm. and in many times having that be really manipulative mm -hmm. and and harmful where someone who doesn't have as much pretty privilege doesn't name it doesn't say 
gosh, Malcolm, I think you're the most beautiful man in this bar. And I would just love to talk to you and buy you a drink. Mm. Can I do that? Or instead of acknowledging those factors, instead of acknowledging those power dynamics, it's much easier and we're trained to be, to be manipulative about it. Yeah. So instead of just naming the disparity in pretty privilege, someone might just keep buying me drinks mm-hmm. to get me drunk, mm-hmm. hoping that that will give them enough leverage to get me home. Right. Once you have received that quote unquote gift and your inhibitions are a little bit lower. Right. Because they think that is necessary for them to have access to you. Right. Instead of having an upfront discussion, because it's scary. Mm. It's super vulnerable for me to say, I'm noticing that I feel a little insecure around you because I think you are so incredibly beautiful. And I just have to name that. here so if i seem a little off if i seem a little nervous that's why but i'd still really like to talk to you if you're willing yeah now that's a very different type of vulnerability that a lot of people think oh it's too soon to say something like that especially if you just met but yeah but it's not because the alternative is to be manipulative is to be out of integrity Uh uh-huh and God, I think that's sexy as hell. It is so sexy. Like, if someone said that to me, I would be so much more mm. willing to actually talk to them. Oh, yeah. Because you kind of set a precedence for the rest of the interaction. You know, you come in with openness and honesty and you're being vulnerable and showing the side of you, but still, you know, taking a risk. It's probably scary for you, like you like you named. And that's what the, all of this is. Pleasure is scary because mm-hmm. pleasure requires vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Being in our power is scary because if I'm going to be empowered, I have to be vulnerable mm-hmm. with myself, with you, with the community. Yeah. And if I'm going to be in integrity, I have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. All of these are really scary, which is why we're we're talking about it it has such a big impact on how we navigate this path of pleasure yep i agree wholeheartedly why don't we take a short break and come back for questions i want to pause and take a moment to talk about our one-on-one and group offerings our work is about guiding you into your body and into your pleasure and power We believe that most of what we have been taught and programmed to think about pleasure and power is not just wrong, but oftentimes harmful to ourselves and to those around us. We have seen time and again that through deep self-inquiry and embodied erotic practices, you can discover more about what you truly want and learn to receive it. We do this work because it has changed our lives in profound ways and continues to do so. These skills are simple, and their simplicity cuts to the core of our being. We are always grateful to our clients whose financial exchanges allow us to continue doing this transformative work, and we hope that many of you will accept the invitation to join us as well. If you're ready to transform your relationship to pleasure and power, just go to adamb.com and set up a free consultation today. Oh, welcome back. We posted on social media. We asked our followers if they had any questions about pretty privilege, and we got 
quite a few really great questions, which we want to just go through as we have time here today. Do you want to read the first question? Yeah. This was a really good one. What are the advantages and disadvantages of having pretty privilege? Mm. What do you think? What are some of the advantages that you can think of? Well, you know, I think first of all, that again, this pretty privilege is totally at that surface level. And so any advantage or disadvantage is also often going to be at that surface level. Not that they can't, not that that can't trickle down into uh, our deeper levels of consciousness. Some of those advantages would be getting doors opened, getting people's attention. It's certainly easier on apps, on bars to get attention, to get a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, people notice you, people move out of your way. But I think the the biggest one that, that most people, or certainly I'll speak for myself, I didn't really have a lot of awareness around was that for someone who holds pretty privilege in a space that their attention is going to be more valuable than others. Hmm. And so if I'm in a space where I have a lot of pretty privilege, who I talk to is noticed. Mm -hmm. The people I'm talking to notice. If we're going together as a couple and I'm the one that's perceived as having more pretty privilege, it's going to matter more if I'm talking to the person or if you're the one who's perceived as having more pretty privilege, your attention, your time, your energy is simply going to be more valuable. Mm. I would say for better or for worse, but I think that's almost always for worse. Usually for worse. Yeah. yeah. This is not, and so we say it's an advantage, but this is not really in anyone's advantage to, mm. to navigate with that. But we do have to be aware that that is what's happening yeah. in this culture. And so for worse, that's what is, that's what's going on mm-hmm. in these spaces. And if you're someone who has a lot of pretty privilege, you have to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. You have to be aware that who you give your time and attention to is simply going to be more valuable. And is the person you're talking to aware of that? Yeah. I think most people are navigating this unconsciously or many people are un- navigating this unconsciously. And that can create a lot of harm mm-hmm. for all of us for the entire space. Yeah. And what about people who navigate it consciously, but with, not the best intent yeah yeah Yeah, which i think we've all been in that situation someone who knows that they have an abundance of pretty privilege and they use it like a weapon yep to go and get exactly what they want no matter who is in their way or who it might impact yeah god that weaponized pretty privilege is really magnified i feel like in our community whose community the gay community And just to piggyback off of some of the things you said, some of the advantages that I've noticed, usually for the worst, are pretty people being granted more leniency. Like if they fuck up, people are willing to accommodate them and Mm. to help them recover or or to turn a blind eye. Mm. I've experienced this a lot in the workplace. And it has always really, especially when I was working in, gay bars as a bartender running circles around and outperforming all of my colleagues but not being the person that the bar owners were attracted to and how i was kind of micromanaged and got the short end of the stick Mm -hmm. even though they were the ones fucking up right and 
Yeah, I think the way this shows up, I'm glad you brought that up because the way this shows up in the workplace can be so harmful oh, and, and really vicious. And, and also this gendered aspect of it, mm-hmm. because I think for, for men or cis men mm-hmm. who show up with a lot of pretty privilege, they get so many advantages. They get listened to, they get more time, they mm-hmm. get heard. And on the other side of that, a woman who shows up, a cis, a cis female mm-hmm. who has a lot of pretty privilege will often get devalued yeah and will often or many of the stories i've heard from from folks is how they will actually go out of their way to to look less pretty Mm. so that their ideas so that their time is taken seriously because they just become completely objectified yeah or their efforts are undermined and people say oh you slept your way to the top or just really petty stuff like that is really sad so what are some of the disadvantages Ooh, I think receiving too much attention, if you're a pretty person who may be an introvert or not even an introvert, just a person who doesn't like a lot of attention or may not be in a space to receive attention, having people give it to you without consent can be daunting. That kind of fawning that people do, even if they aren't physically saying anything or doing anything to you, the gaze. Mm-hmm. The G A Z E mm-hmm. can be really powerful and distracting, and can make you uncomfortable. Mm. Well, we talked about this last night about how I've learned in in gay bars, mm-hmm. in particular. I I'm not generally one to be terrified of any space, mm-hmm. but I really, really hate being left alone when my friends have to go to the bathroom. Because of that unwanted attention, whether that's through the eyes, taking through the eyes, mm. or people coming to talk when when I don't want to talk, yeah. or taking, coming to take my energy, my time without consent, mm-hmm. and then me having to use extra energy and labor to say no or to endure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Also, objectification. Just because someone is pretty people tend to think about them in a sexual way and care less for what's in their brain. Mm-hmm. What's going on upstairs? What what aspects of your personality have you cultivated that are interesting? Mm-hmm. There is usually only service level interest. I think at the root of pretty privilege is a kind of a, a measurement of how fuckable you are. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases. And I think that's right in line with society. Sex sells. Everything is sexed up. Mm-hmm. Aspiring to that is a lot of people's goal or how they've they've decided to navigate the world because it's easier. Yeah. yeah. I would say I want to add to this mm-hmm. because I think one of the other really big disadvantages I see with folks who have an abundance of pretty privilege is that it can it can make certain things easier at mm-hmm. that surface level. And because of that ease there, I think there can be kind of a microscopic focus to stay at that surface level mm. mm-hmm. that the desire to go deeper becomes less present. 
Because there's no necessity. There's no necessity because everything is so easy mm. at the surface level. And so there's no inquiry into what might be beneath that. I think another disadvantage I see for folks who have an abundance of pretty privilege is is receiving quite a bit of hatred and vitriol mm. from folks who perceive themselves as having a lack. Mm. That's not my personal experience, mm. but it's one that that I see quite a bit and I see it manifested in groups. Mm-hmm. I see it in the community where folks who perceive themselves as having a lack can so easily move into that victim space, yeah, which is a really painful place to be. Mm. And, and even though there's an awareness that this is all made up, <laughs> that none of this is even real, that mm. it's all surface level, that hatred and vitriol can't be directed at culture. Mm. And so it goes to the pretty person who's nearby. Right. And if that pretty person is actually taking advantage, if that person is out of integrity, then it's even amplified more. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes this harmful cycle that continues to be repeated. And I think this is why we're so passionate about bringing awareness into it. Because whether I'm in a lack of pretty privilege, which I certainly have been in certain times in my life or if i have an abundance of pretty privilege i have to be aware of that because this this cycle and how we play in that cycle with each other only serves to create so much harm and perpetuate so many of other pieces of systemic oppression Mm -hmm. that are there and so highlighting it bringing awareness to it understanding that my white non-disabled cis male body is giving me pretty privilege will also help me understand and dissect the larger issues at play. Mm. (sighs) Let's go to the next question. Yeah. We spent a lot of time on that. Yeah. Then this next one's pretty easy though. Yeah. So the next one is how can we stop gay spaces from making pretty privilege exclusionary? Well, you can't (laughs) not, not going to happen. And this is, I mean, it's, it's an important question, but it just goes back to why we have to start with ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's no way I can go out and, and, and change these group fields, these other spaces, but I can start with myself. Mm-hmm. I can begin to look at it in myself and my relationships. And that's where we have to start before we go into these bigger questions. Yeah, because I think once we're doing the work on ourselves, we start to gravitate toward other people who are doing the same thing. And then we create our own spaces. Right. And the ideal scenario is that everybody does the work and then all the spaces that we create from the work are safe. Safer. Great. Safer. Safe enough, hopefully. Yeah. So next question is, what to do when other people say I'm pretty and I don't see it? And how do I acknowledge it in myself and others? Hmm. I mean, for me... When other people say I'm pretty, it doesn't fucking matter. Mm. It's their projection. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I go to is why are they telling me this? Are they tell? Is it for me or is it for them? Mm. 
I think so many of us are trained to give compliments as a way to manipulate, as a way to curry favor. Yeah. And just being aware of that. And so I will often ask, is this, why are you giving me this compliment? Is it, is it for me or yeah. is it for you? What do you want? Most people don't like it when I ask that, but, <laughs> but I want to know if I'm going to, if I'm going to enter into a conversation with trust and if it feels energetically off, I'm certainly going to ask that. But at any rate, if anyone gives a compliment or says that, that I'm pretty, ultimately it doesn't matter because it is just their projection. What matters is my beauty mm. and the choices I'm making for myself to be beautiful. And the choices I'm making for myself have nothing to do with you. Mm. Absolutely nothing. Mm. So again, it just goes back, for me at least, to start with the self, to start with me. That's the only thing that matters. I am making these choices for me because I think I am more beautiful in yeah. this space, in this outfit, in this body. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, I've experienced being maybe not ashamed, but being afraid or, or holding back from paying a compliment because a lot of times I genuinely, if I see a beautiful woman, or if I see an attractive man, or if I see somebody's outfit that's nice, I think that it's beautiful and letting you know that feels good to me. I don't necessarily want anything from you, but that is so often misinterpreted. Or that follow-up question is never asked, like, what is it for? Why are you asking me? Or why are you telling me this? I think it's a, it's a very unconventional way to respond to a compliment, but effective. Mm. And I think when it comes, I mean, we had an experience in in the cafe and there was this couple sitting next to us and they were both really beautiful. But I was particularly struck by how gorgeous the woman was. And I, we had a discussion about how that could make her day. And I was so struck with fear, for one, because she was white and I just never... Not just white. She was white, blonde hair. Yeah, blue eyes. It was the whole... It was everything. The whole the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. But it was, she was beautiful. She looked like someone from TV or a movie. Pretty. She was pretty. And and you were encouraging me to, to just pay her that compliment, and I could not find it in myself mm -hmm. to do it. Such an interesting experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Our, our, our culture around compliments, I think, is so fucked mm. because of this. We're, it's, we're so used to it being manipulative, mm. wanting something from it. And so one of the things you named and that I will often say if I'm giving a compliment is I don't want anything from you, but I, do, I just want to say that I love your dress mm. or I love that necklace or whatever it might be. You have the most beautiful arms I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And just let them know that yeah. I don't want anything. You don't have to do anything. You can just take it however you want it. But I want to say it. Mm. It gives me pleasure to give yeah. a compliment, to uplift what I find pretty or even beautiful in another person is, is so pleasurable to me. Yeah, I agree. And I know when I've received compliments that feel genuine, how shifting that energy can be. It can really make a day or a week mm -hmm. to receive a compliment that feels within integrity. Right. 
and I and I it, it feels empowering to to res- what did you say to receive a compliment that feels within integrity. Mm. And I just want to go back to the giving part again about giving the compliment because mm. especially if it's if I'm giving it to someone who I perceive as having more pretty privilege. Mm-hmm. If I take the opportunity to to give that compliment, mm. not wanting anything out of it, it gives me the space to not be in that place of victimhood, yeah. to leave the space of feeling like I have lack. Mm. And it instead allows me to shift into that pleasure of 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 naming something that is beautiful or pretty to mm. me. And I think that's a really helpful practice to be in, especially if you're someone who is feeling like you're consistently in a lack of pretty privilege. Yeah. What would it be like to actually uplift the things that you find beautiful in your partners or the people around you, as opposed to being angry or Mm. frustrated that that I don't have it? Mm. That's a big one. It is a big one. And I, and, and I think it, that shift can happen really quickly. Yeah. I think this is a, a practice that most people can be enriched by if we were to implement. Right. And I, I do want to backtrack a little bit because as I was sharing about that white woman in the cafe, I was thinking about all of the black women that I constantly see and I constantly yeah, compliment. I was about to name this. This is a very, I think, a dynamic that can be broken down yeah. within the racial dynamic. And how it's often received so graciously and and with so much gratitude. But, you know, black and brown folk, but particularly black because I interact with black folk the most and I am, I identify as black. We, the way we move about interacting with each other in that regard, it, it doesn't have to be formal. It, it, we don't even have to stop. I could just be like, yes, girl. And that is so organic and it means so much. The mm-hmm. woman knows what I'm saying or even other black gay men complimenting straight or hetero, however you want to identify them, black men is a whole different ball game. But I've found that it's so organic and always, I can't think of a time throughout my life where I've complimented a black person and that interaction went awry. Mm-hmm. Black woman in particular. Mm-hmm. Whereas with white women in particular, I have seen that go bad mm-hmm. so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's so important to name here because I, th- and I think it, like all of these discussions around power dynamics often point back to this colonial capitalist patriarchal structures we have mm. and in this white settler culture that sense of uplifting your neighbor or your partner has to be taken out of the equation yeah for it to succeed right mm. because the culture we have created is all is all about hoarding more for myself mm. And yeah. giving you a compliment will take away from that. So interesting. I watched a video on Instagram yesterday about a Ghanaian woman talking about her experience in the U.S. and how individualistic it is and how people 
pretend they don't know you when you spend significant time together and how different that is from her culture. And I just really would love to experience a culture where that is not the case because this is all I know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do work to try to create that, but it exists in other places. Mm-hmm. So that's just an observation. Let's move on. Yeah. Next question. You want to read the next question? So the next one is, who decides who is considered pretty? What cultural standards are used to determine this? And my simple answer is whiteness. <laughs> yeah, white settler colonialism has taken over the entire globe mm. and has completely determined the lens through which we uplift certain bodies and define prettiness. And in that system the white body is held as the highest standard. Mm. And I I would like to use the language of distorted that lens. Yes. Because that just feels more accurate. Mm. And it's easy to, to name that and move on. And I just want to encourage folks listening. If that, even if it makes sense or, 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 or doesn't make sense, I think it's an opportunity for some really deep inquiry into Mm. ourselves, into how, or for me, how my perceptions of prettiness have been influenced Mm. by by colonialism, what I can do to, to bring awareness to that in all aspects of my life. Because as we've been saying, this is not just about pretty privilege and who can get a drink <laughs> faster at a bar. Hmm. And this this is far more important than that mm-hmm. and seeps into the, the deepest layers of our bodies and our society. Yeah. And every interaction we have with every other person. Right. The next question? Yeah. Next question. How does gay culture perpetuate pretty privilege and how might this be considered a form of lateral violence? Yeah. Great question. And I think we've talked about it to some degree, but just to define lateral violence for folks, if you're unaware is is, lateral violence is that violence or anger that might be directed toward other members of an oppressed community, as opposed to directing it to the oppressors. Mm -hmm. And so I see that very often in where pretty privilege is used in group circles with friends and relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly why we're doing this podcast to talk about how this manifests as a form of violence in our relationships when we don't name it, when we don't acknowledge it, when we don't talk about how I have a lack or abundance, how I perceive myself as having a lack or abundance as you've already said it today, but my teacher, Mark Fleming, we were talking about this and, and I remember him being so forceful. He's rarely forceful with me, but he said, mm-hmm. we, we have to understand the currency of our attraction. Mm-hmm. It is our responsibility. I think, to, or I think what he said is it's our responsibility to understand the currency of our attraction or we will create harm. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Mark. Right. Yeah. Mark is amazing. He doesn't have a website or anything, so I can't <laughs> refer any folks to him, but amazingly wise teacher and friend and colleague who mm. has saved my life time and again. <laughs> That's beautiful. 
And so when we when we don't bring awareness to what's happening at this structural level, yeah, we're going to bring it into our relationships. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in all the spaces you're in. Yeah, and and I think the way that manifests a lot in in our the gay community is with some of the obsessions that we have, like with bodies, with dick sizes, with masculinity, you know, there is an oppressive force that has created all of these standards. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to attempting to undo that, we dig at each other for not adhering to them Mm -hmm. or possessing more of them. And it is so To the point where even if you are someone who embodies some of those traits, Mm -hmm. we are taught and programmed to think that we don't. Mm Mm-hmm. So many of the conversations I have around pretty privilege are people who immediately go to that place of victimization Mm. who think that I don't have any pretty privilege. And it's almost like having to grab them by the proverbial shoulders and (laughs) and giving them a little shake. I don't do that physically, obviously, (laughs) but, but getting them to wake up and realize the places where they actually do have pretty privilege. Yeah. You may think, because this has nothing to do with, my own body dysmorphia or Mm -hmm. the way I think I look. That's not what this is about. This is about having an objective understanding of how my pretty privilege expresses itself. Mm. Whatever I think about my body is irrelevant. And if I'm only thinking about that, I will create harm. Mm -hmm. And I I know that that is certainly my story Mm. where my body dysmorphia was the sole focus of my attention, Mm -hmm. thinking that I was unattractive, not pretty enough. Who could possibly think I was attractive? Meanwhile, I was going around in these circles and unconsciously taking advantage of so many people Mm. and not even knowing it. Mm. Yeah. And then conversely, I had such a dysmorphic view of myself that I was destructive to my body. And I... Didn't I didn't see the value in myself, so I allowed people to take advantage of me. Mm-hmm. And it, there was definitely there were definitely instances where said dysmorphia caused harm to the people in my life that I cared about, my relationships. But I think more of it was pointed back at self harm in a way, mm-hmm. which I don't think I've ever said that out loud. But it you know it feels resonant it feels it feels like an accurate observation i'm curious how you might have used pretty privilege to your advantage Ooh, i can think of a few examples if you can't oh i (laughs) (laughs) i would love to hear what you have to say but i think i'm pretty self-aware i know that you know i have used my pretty privilege the currency that i do possess to get a lot of things to to get jobs to to diffuse tension to gosh in in bar settings i've done the drink thing i've convinced people using my perception of the amount of currency they perceived i had to get access to receive gifts to get drinks Hmm. shit like that how is that out of integrity well I mean, I wasn't honest about what was happening. Or was it out of integrity? It was definitely out of integrity because I didn't explain to these people that I had no intention of 
maybe going home with them or I wasn't actually really interested in them as people just wanted what they could give me and that is in the shadow of take on the wheel of consent on Betty Martin's wheel of consent which you can find more information at schoolofconsent.org love that wheel yeah and in that that was not okay mm-hmm. And I think if we all take a moment to just sit down and think, take inventory, we can all find probably more than a few instances where we have taken without mm. integrity. Oh, yeah. We all can. We all have. Yeah. And we all are. We're Everyone is moving in and out of integrity all the time. We're going to do that. And mm. it, none of this is about never being out of integrity it's Mm. simply about how can we bring awareness to the times when we are because we will be Mm. i'm curious about these examples that you were oh you no you named them all (laughs) those were great thank you for naming them and that was what i just want to name that that was more in line with what i meant as well when i when i was talking about how i was unconsciously taking advantage Uh, of others Um, mm. i don't want anyone to think i was physically taking advantage of people in any uh, malicious way. Yeah. But I think that when we're unaware of it, we will unconsciously take things. And that can be money, time, energy, mm. physical touch. Yep. All kinds of things. <sighs> yeah. Definitely need a breath after that. One. Yeah. <laughs> so next question. I love this question is how does pretty privilege interact or interplay with fetishizing or exoticizing other people? What is the experience of non-white folks in dominant Western white culture? Mm, great question. Thank you. So, Malcolm, what is the experience of, of non-white folks in dominant Western white culture? And obviously, you can't speak for, for all non-white folks, but for yourself. Oh, man. You know, it, it is an exhausting one. I think that more than anybody... We, our currency fluctuates from space to space. I mean, literally from door to door as I enter a new establishment. Depending on who is there, I may or may not have a lack or an abundance of of that currency that I talk about. I think it's usually an extreme experience. Being non-white and and living in this white culture, there's usually either an extreme of fetishism, fetishization, where people don't see the humanity and don't care about the humanity. They use terms like BBC to describe what they imagine is in my pants. What's what's BBC for folks listening? I want to precursor this with I do not use the word cock, but... (laughs) It stands for Big Black Cock. Mm. And, you know, which plays into so many racial stereotypes and tropes about Black men and our appendages and how we have been hypersexualized and oversexualized. And dehumanized. And dehumanized because we are more than our BBCs or perceived BBCs. And then there's the other extreme of... I'm curious how often you get asked about that on apps. Oh, my God. Incessantly. It is incessant. It it really sucks. And was one of the reasons why I 
had no issues divorcing myself from them because those interactions feel so icky. When someone asks if you have a BBC. Yeah, especially when that's the first, if not only thing, someone is saying. It's like, well, damn, fuck you. Like, hi, my name is, you know, Mm. as opposed to that. It it feels so gross. The girls really do not know how to interact. It's not something that I miss. But then the other extreme of that experience being non-white in this Western white colonial culture is being treated as if I am gross, disgusting, because there is a huge section of our culture that says that I am, that I'm dirty, that I'm unpretty, that we, and and I just, I feel it really important to name how much more intense that is for, for women of culture. And, and I definitely embodied that for a really long time. Mm. An abundance of that. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think my experience or what I see is certainly that colonial construct of prettiness being replicated, sustained, maintained, mm. certainly not dissolving. And how that distorted lens through which we see prettiness in very specific types of mostly white or lighter skinned bodies Hmm. dehumanizes everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so when I read this question of how pretty privilege intersects with fetishizing and exoticizing other people, I think at least from a white bodied perspective, we uphold that certain body, but of course we are attracted to all kinds of things and all kinds of bodies. Yeah. But we've completely dehumanized every other body that's not white. Mm. And so what I notice at least is that when, when that arises, if an attraction or desire appears for a body that, that, that has been dehumanized for centuries, Mm the only response is to continue the dehumanization and to mm. and to fetishize it and exoticize it and create massive amounts of harm mm. for both people. Yeah. Us white-bodied folks who do that are also creating massive amounts of harm in our own bodies. Yeah, because there's a certain amount of numbing you have to do to treat a human being like they're not human beings, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's not at all an attempt to be an apologist or anything like that because the whole shebang is fucked up. But there should be an acknowledgement that y'all ain't just hurting us. You're hurting yourselves too. Right. And I do want to go back to the objectification piece because there are more layers to that. A thing that I've also experienced a lot is white people referring to black and brown people as food, mm. which is also dehumanizing. Calling a chocolate or caramel and like, none of that shit feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I am a human being mm-hmm. and it would be great if you could acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And people have pet names and you can do what you want with your partners but coming out the gate, please do not refer to me as chocolate or 
mocha or whatever other thing I have heard over my course of interacting with with men. It it really fucking sucks. Thank you for that. It's important. Yeah. So our last question, it's a big one, an important one. It says, how is it a privilege when it is a side effect of misogynistic objectification, meaning that to have it is to be objectified? Mm. And I think really simply this question gets to the point of all this, which as whenever we say pretty privilege, this is not a good thing for anyone. Right. It is harmful. Double-edged sword. Yes. It is creating harm. Mm. And that that privilege the advantages it may provide at that surface level is always going to create deeper levels of harm. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully this discussion and our, for me, this discussion has allowed even more inquiry into these questions for myself and, and hopefully for the listeners as well. Absolutely. We will continue to have the deep, deep dives yeah. They're so necessary. So necessary. And they feel so good. Any final thoughts? Yeah, well, I guess my final thought would be that pretty privilege is, like I mentioned, a double-edged sword. And we should all bring much more awareness to the ways in which we're all being cut. We need to start having these conversations take the stigma out of it. It's going to be scary and a little bit daunting at first, but I think ultimately we come out better. It's healing. You can create deeper relationships. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's very hard. It's hard to have these discussions at first. At first. Yeah. And it gets easier. That makes everything better. And I guess what I would end with is is that request that we have more of these conversations, that we, I want to be around people who are bringing awareness to this mm-hmm. in their own bodies, who have some insight into the power they hold in different spaces and who can navigate that with a little more agility and care and compassion for themselves primarily mm-hmm. And then also with me and others. Yeah. And even if you don't have that agility yet, to at least be interested in gaining it. Right. I'm tired of being around people who refuse to acknowledge that they might even have pretty privilege. Mm. Particularly hearing about it from other white-bodied people. Because simply by virtue of the fact of being in a white body, you will have a certain amount of pretty privilege. I don't care what other way you feel or look that will automatically give you a certain certain amount of surface level advantages and recognizing that owning that exploring that is perhaps the the first step and recognizing that owning that is such an important step mm-hmm. So I hope this podcast has resonated with folks. It certainly is important to us. We're hoping to continue these discussions. And to end with, 
We want to acknowledge and name the folks who write in about our work and who leave testimonials, who leave feedback. Yeah. It's so important because we don't often get to see what happens when clients walk out of here. We don't often get to see how lives are changed. And so whenever folks do write in, we were really excited. And whether that's positive or negative, it's always so helpful to hear. Yeah. And so I wanted to read a testimonial I got from from Santiago, who says, I felt a great well of gratitude since our last meeting. My capacity to feel love in daily life has expanded so far beyond what I knew, and my fear around physical intimacy has decreased more than therapy had been able to do. Mm. I hadn't said it in the last few sessions, but I finally look forward to having sex again. I found the courage to expand my gender presentation in public again for the first time in years and even with family and do that without the fear I had before. Mm. So beautiful. Come on, Santiago. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, many blessings. Much love. Bye for now.